0: a heart God. Remember when, when Samuel went to anoint the new king, he seen all the brothers, David's brothers, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed." And God spoke to him and said, listen, I don't look at outward appearance. I look on the heart. Okay, so God is a heart God. Marriage, a, mar- a marital relationship has to be a heart relationship. If it's not a heart relationship, it will fail. But if it's a heart thing, it'll make it through anything. Alright? But many of us, we think that God only relates to us on a legal basis. No, God saved you so He could have relationship with you. He said, I'll be your father, you'll be my son. What's that indicate? Relationship. But we just stick to the courtroom setting where God has declared that we're righteous, we're holy, we're justified, we're sanctified, and we're said, that's good enough for me. That will not transform your heart. If if you've ever been to the courtroom, and let's say the judge uh, lets you off of something you did, a speeding ticket or something, listen, you might be thankful for a bit, but that won't transform your heart. Why? It's, 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 man, okay, help me Jesus, come on now, come on. So, your heart can soften and it can harden to the voice of Christ. And really what it's about is, what are you exposing your heart to? That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else. See, we'll guard our house, we'll guard our family, we'll we'll guard our money, but so often we neglect guarding our heart. And Solomon said, listen, you need to guard this above all else. Don't neglect the heart. So what are you exposing your heart to? That's what makes all of the difference. What are you exposing it to through your hearing? What are you exposing it to through your thinking? See, each of these are doors that lead to your heart. Your hearing leads to your heart. Your thinking leads to your heart. Your seeing leads to your heart. Your imagining, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, leads to your heart. And your speaking leads to your heart. But here's the thing, like I said, it's not as important that we learn what the heart is as it is that we learn how the heart functions. Again, I use this example. We drove a vehicle to church this morning. But now, if something was wrong with that vehicle... Well, let's just say it, nothing has to be wrong with it. If I took you out there right now and popped that hood and you said, What is all this stuff and what's it do? Oh, well, that's the battery. That's about all I got. I don't know the ins and outs of a vehicle, I don't know how it works, I don't know what does what. I just know I turn the key, put that thing in reverse or drive, push the gas, and it goes. Right? It doesn't matter as much that we learn what the heart is, but we need to learn how it functions. And we need to learn, this is the big one, this is what we're going to talk about today, we need to learn how the heart is influenced. Because many of us are exposing our heart to influences that we have no business exposing our heart to. So we want to know, so we want to learn this morning how to influence our heart and then we want to use that knowledge to rewire our heart and create and live the quality of life that God wants us to live. Forget about your mom and dad's dreams. Forget about your own dreams because God's is better. And He has a quality of life that He wants you to live. It's not about mansions and cars and money. I'm telling you, listen, peace, joy... Righteousness in the Holy Spirit. This is the abundant life. So, and listen, this isn't about getting introspective and finding what's wrong with your heart. That doesn't matter. Listen, so many times you, you find out, okay, okay, Grant's taught this, so I've got a heart issue. What, what is my heart issue? That doesn't matter. Now, there will be times in fellowship with God He will expose some things to you. And show you things that you need to deal with. But it's not as important that you figure out, okay, what's wrong in my heart, as much as it is that you figure out what do I need to expose my heart to. See, because we think, what lies am I believing? You're, you're asking the wrong question, and you'll just keep, you, you'll never be satisfied. The question isn't what lies am I believing, but what truth do I need to believe? Because if you'll focus on the truth and get the truth in your heart, the lies will expel themselves. As you bring in the truth, you kick out the lies. So it's not about getting introspective and trying to find out what you're doing or believing is wrong. Because listen to this. Your heart is always manifesting itself. Always. Proverbs 4.23. It's determining the course of your life. Why did I do that? Your heart. So your heart is automatically working itself out. So here, we don't have to get introspective, but here's what we have to do. This is the, you need to answer these two questions. Do you enjoy your life? Like, let me ask you, what do you mean do you enjoy your life? Would you want your children to live the same life you're living? Do you enjoy your life? Second question, do you like the results you're seeing? If your answer is no, that's all you need to know. You can stop right there. Why? Because your heart is determining the course of your life. So if you've ended up somewhere you don't want to be, what do you need to do? Deal with the heart. All right? Deal with the heart. So we talked about, let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verse twenty. We talked about Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul prays something very interesting for the believers. He said, I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart. May. Okay, now the way I read the Bible is if Paul had to pray that he may dwell in my heart, what's that mean? He may not dwell in my heart. But here's the problem. When we think dwell and fill, we think of this bottle full of water. How many of you have heard that illustration, right? Like what it means to be filled with God, this bottle running over, that's what... It, that's not the field that the Bible, the New Testament is speaking of. Think of a better illustration would be how a... Think about a sail on a boat. That boat will not go till what happens? The wind fills the sail, And when the wind fills the sail, what happens? It leads, guides, directs that boat. Alright? It, it, here's what it is. It influences that boat. So that Christ may dwell in your heart, what Paul was praying is that Christ would be the one who influences your heart. Who directs and guides and leads your heart and thereby your life. Alright? Now look here, Revelation 3.20. This is a very interesting verse. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 Behold I being Jesus stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and dine with him and he with me Now here's what's interesting about this verse I know in most most of you have heard this verse in the context of a sinner needing to come to Jesus Here's the problem with that Jesus is talking to a church He is talking to born-again believers here, and He's saying, Hey, I'm standing here knocking. And if you will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and dine with you. Now, in the the Hebrew language, the word door and heart are one and the same. The Hebrew language is a a pictorial language. Uh, language. And the heart and the door are the same thing. So he is actually saying here, and I don't know if you know this, but Jesus didn't have blonde hair blonde hair and brown eyes, right, And blue eyes. He, he, was, he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. So here he is saying, I stand at the door and knock. What's he saying? I'm standing at your heart and I'm knocking. Why? He's on the inside of you. And he's at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And he's saying, if you look, who has to open the door? Jesus. He's not going to kick the door in. And a lot, if you think the, the heart and the spirit are the same thing, you'll make the, the mistake of thinking Jesus is just going to invite himself on in. The work is finished. It's not automatic. We have to get a hold of that. The work is finished, but it is not automatic. Let's go, let's go to Mark chapter 4, verse 14. So Jesus tells the believer here, open your heart, open the door. See, and here's something we have to realize. Your heart is always gathering evidence. Always. That's what I said, these doors, these gates, your heart is always taking things in. Now, Mark 4, verse 14, the sower. Now, who is the sower? The sower is Jesus. The sower sows the word. Now, jump down with me to Mark 4, verse 24. Then He said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, Take heed what you hear. With the same measure... What's that next word? You. With the same measure you use. See, God doesn't determine the measure of Him you are experiencing in your life. God doesn't determine the measure of peace, joy, love, self-control that you are experiencing in your life. Well, who does? You do. Because He says the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words... You determine the capacity of joy, love, peace, righteousness, uh, sanctification. You experience. You you determine the capacity of that that you will experience. And to you who hear, more will be given. Um, And then, so, so listen to me. Here's what we want to. So, do you see that you're in control of your own heart? My wife sees that. Does anyone else see that? You are in control of your own heart. My wife, in our marriage, now she is in control of her heart towards me. I cannot force her to feel a certain way about me. But what I can do is I can try to influence her heart and how it feels about me. How? Fellowship. Things we do, things I say. Things I don't do. Things I don't say. Right? That, that has... Why? Because her heart is always gathering evidence about me. Does that make sense? So your heart is always gathering evidence. So here's the question. Who or what are you yielding your heart to? What are you hearing and listening to? What are you thinking about? What are you imagining? What are you saying? Now, listen to me. Your heart has, now, there's probably more, but I'm only going to highlight two. Your heart has two check engine lights. And these things let you know: all right, something's going on in here, something's going on in here. What are they? First, your words. See, we have focused so much on make sure you're saying the right thing. Make sure you're saying the right thing. Make sure you're saying the right thing. There is truth to that, and I've taught on that a lot. But, when something happens, unexpected, what comes out of your mouth? Listen, let's be honest, men. We're like, you know, yeah, by his stripes I'm healed. And then we get that cold that our wife just had, and suddenly we think we're dying. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? So, so listen. Listen to me. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what are, do you find yourself saying? What do you find coming out of your mouth without any thought? That's a check engine light. Now here's the second one. Your feelings and your emotions. Your feelings and your emotions do not determine the truth you should believe. Your feelings and your emotions do not determine the truth you should believe. Do do you hear me? And I just taught a message on that recently here. God loves you whether you feel it or not. But that love will not impact you until you feel it. So your your, your feelings, your emotions don't determine the truth you should believe. But listen to me. But they will reveal to you what you are believing as truth. It's the check engine light. Do you enjoy your emotions? Do you enjoy how you feel about yourself? Do you enjoy how you feel about God? Do you enjoy how you feel about your children, about others? On and on we could go. How do you feel? Because how you feel is a revelation of what you're allowing in your heart. And what is going on in your heart. Now, am I saying again? Am I saying that like you're never going to have ups and downs? No, but if you can get the truth established in your heart, I'm telling you what, the roller coaster ride will end. That doesn't mean you won't ever take another you know another spin around the track, but the non stop ride on the roller coaster of Christianity is over. So if you Think that your feelings and your emotions are like this. That's not God's best for you. It's not. God wants you to feel His love. Jeremiah's been teaching on self-worth, or dignity and self-worth. God wants you to feel your worth. You know why people make bad decisions in relationships? Poor self-image poor self-worth. It doesn't matter who's who, who it is that is telling them you're worthy, you're valuable. If they don't feel it about themselves, their, their heart will lead them down a course of life that they don't want to go. You need to feel the truth about you. So your feelings and your emotions are a check engine light. So the truth that we're about to talk about that you need to get in your heart, it's not it, I guarantee from 98% of you here. You will be able to you will sit there and the first thing you'll think is, I know that. I know that. I know that. But listen. If you're doing this, you don't know that. Not here. See cuz 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 Paul said in Ephesians 3, he said, I pray that you be rooted and grounded. Yes, sir. What's, think about, what's that make you think about? It immediately makes you think about a tree. Now, in, you know, where I grew up, I can remember seeing storms, you know, these bad storms come through, bad wind come through, and you would see these trees that are 100, 200 feet tall, I mean, in some of them, and you'll see them bending and rocking in that wind. I mean, just like you're like, it's going to snap. And I've seen it time and time again, those same trees, John, they survive that storm. Survive the next one. Survive the next one. Survive the next one. Why? It's not about what's above ground. It's what's in the ground. They're rooted and grounded. And if we will get rooted and grounded in the truth, see, your heart has roots. But what is it rooted and grounded in? See, this is the path to transformation. Transformation is better than change. Now, we're, we're recommending every, you know people in our church read a book throughout the winter called "Grace: The Power to Change." Now, I'm all for change, but actually, what I'm about to teach you I actually learned from the same guy who wrote that book. Transformation is better than change. See, change implies that you become something that you are not. Transformation is you becoming who you really are. You manifesting and, it, and who you really are, not just becoming something that's the potential of the, on the inside of you, but it's actually your experience. It's actually your life. When people see you, they know that's who you are. So we want transformation. Change is fine, change is good. I want change, but my heart is after transformation. The drug addict doesn't need change because so many times change is temporary, change is good. But that change needs to get them to transformation. It needs to buy them enough time to get to transformation. Romans 12.2. What what stuck out to me years ago is I asked God this question because I knew drug addicts that um, got born again and were instantly delivered. Then I knew drug addicts who got born again and it was a path for them to walk. Out of that. And then I knew people who, you know, some would get born again and eventually go back to the same sin. Some would get born again, and they never go back to that sin. And so I asked God, what's what's the difference? See, because what, where I came from, what I would have been led to believe is that the difference is, well, one really got saved and one didn't. Or one got born again and they lost that salvation. That's that's not it. Be you transformed. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it, it's when we deal with our thought patterns that's when we'll experience transformation. That is what God wants for us, transformation. God doesn't want, um, God doesn't just, God's okay with change, but God doesn't want you to stop there. Go for transformation. Victory is not walking away from sin and thinking, man, I would have loved to have done that. Victory is walking away from sin and being satisfied that I walked away from that. That's That's victory. If we walk away from temptation with gritted teeth and a tight fist, that's not victory. Good, right? You just, you just saved yourself from some bad consequences, but victory is when you say no to that, and on the inside, you're satisfied. Sin is the result of you not being satisfied. In some areas, some way, somehow, whether it's with you, somewhere in your life, there's something you're not satisfied with. Right, And when you're not satisfied, what do you seek to do? Be satisfied. God wants you to get to the place where you live satisfied. When the first thing you do is you wake up in the morning and feel satisfied. Philemon, there's only one chapter, verse 6. This blessing you guys this morning. Philemon 1, verse 6. It says that the sharing, now that word sharing, this actually isn't a verse about evangelism. When you look that word sharing up, it's the idea of your, your partnership or your transferring of your faith. In other words, the using of your faith. May become effective. See, the issue is not, do you have enough faith? The issue is, is the faith you have effective? The sharing of your faith may become effective. Well, how does it become effective? Is it by fasting? Is it by a lot of prayer? Is it by reading more chapters of the Bible? Is it by tithing? Is it by coming to church? No, it comes by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you. Where? It's in you. In you. It's in you, in Christ Jesus. So your faith becomes effective when you acknowledge acknowledge every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. So it is when you begin to acknowledge the truth in Christ that your faith becomes effective and goes to work. And and I, I like this better, acknowledgement. I like that better than confessing. Now, I'm all for positive confession and confessing the truth. But because of our teaching over the last few decades, when we hear confession, we think either confessing sin or we think of confessing faith to make something happen. Acknowledgement gives the idea it's already true and I'm just agreeing with it. Which is really what biblical confession is. But I like that acknowledging every good thing which is in you. In Christ Jesus. And notice every good thing is in you. It's not just in Grant. It's not just in Jeremiah. It's in you. What is the good thing that you need? Whatever it is, it's in you. And you've got the Spirit of God, Christ in you, constantly speaking to you and trying to give you wisdom and guidance so that you can experience every good thing that is in you. Acknowledging must be three, and this, I'm going to use this because this helped me when I heard it, and I believe it'll help you when you hear it. Acknowledging, when we make a statement of acknowledgement, it needs to follow the three P's, it needs to be personal, me, I, it needs to be positive. You acknowledge the good things that are in you. You don't go around acknowledging the bad things. See, I grew up thinking humility was me acknowledging all the bad things about myself. And then I wondered why my faith didn't work. Because it's counter to faith according to this verse. So it needs to be positive. And the third one, this one is big. I think this might be the biggest one. The third one is it needs to be in the present tense. Now, let me share why. Now, what we've taught, what I've been taught, the people that have really influenced me, I've been taught that you need to make it a past tense declaration. When you, now, I agree that it's already been done, but it being done, doesn't necessarily make it manifest in my life. Remember, it's finished, but it's not automatic. And if I only speak of it in the past tense, then it's something back there. But here's the problem. I need it right here. See, the past tense, when you're talking in the past tense, you're, talking, you're making legal declarations. That's fine. But I need what's legally been declared to be my experience right now. I need what's legally been declared in the past to be my experience in the present. See, see, because here's the thing. You've got it in you. Whatever it is you need, it's in you. Whatever it is you need to live satisfied, it's in you. Here's what that means. You don't have to go to another man or woman to get it. You don't have to chase an anointing to get it. You don't have to listen to a 100 hours of series to get it. Now, you might have to do some things to, to get your mind renewed, but everything you need is in you, in Christ Jesus. It's in you. That man and woman of God ain't got nothing that you don't have on the inside of you. Now, it doesn't mean we don't need one another. We do need one another. But I'm telling you, if you're going to another man or woman of God thinking that they'll give you something that will finally feel that hunger, finally feel that thirst, you're wrong. Because what you need is in you. In Christ Jesus. See, it's not about you, it's about Him. And what you need is in Him. And that's the only place it can be found. And where's he at? In you. See, So what lies you're believing isn't as important as knowing what it is you need to have your heart established in. Let's go to Colossians 3.15, please. This is a very uh, familiar portion of Scripture. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now, here's the way I've taught this, and I've heard Jeremiah teach it this way. About everybody I've heard teaches it this way. And It's true that one of the ways you know God is leading you and guiding you is by the peace you have. That's true. But there's actually something, I think, deeper here. The peace of God is actually the peace that you have with God. And he's saying, let this peace that you have with God be what rules your heart. What will that do? That will keep you out of condemnation. That will keep you out of thinking you're not good enough. That will keep you out of thinking God's not mad at you. Just recently when we were in Colorado, we sat down with uh, some pastors, and I was seeking some counsel on them about some things we're praying about. And he just spoke up to me, completely freed us. And he said, God's going to be satisfied with whatever you do. With whatever you choose to do in this situation, God's going to be satisfied. That completely freed me because I'd been sitting here and just thinking, what does God want me to do? What does God? Wa- I don't want to miss God. What does God want me to do? And hearing someone say, you know, and you know what really they're saying? God's at peace with you. You just need to be at peace with Him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now that doesn't always mean that God's just satisfied with whatever we choose to do. He's trying to lead us and guide us. But, so the peace of God, I believe is peace with God. Colossians 1.27 talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you ever think about that? Christ is in you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That is a loaded term. The word hope is a confident expectation of good. Because Christ is in me, I can confidently expect good. That frees me to make good decisions. Because no, ma- no matter what, I can confidently expect good. Glory. Do you know the word glory is not like we just think about the glory clouds, the Shekinah glory? That word glory is the word doxa. And do you know it actually means an opinion about someone or something? So it means because Christ is in me, God will always have a good opinion of me. And if he has a good opinion of me, then I don't have to worry that I'm going to make a decision that suddenly he has a bad opinion of me. God is never shaking his head going... Yes, come on. <laughs> Ephesians 3.14.19 teaches us, and we don't have to go there, I am unconditionally loved by God. Now let's go to Psalm 23, verse 3. Because I think this is a big one. Psalm 23, verse 3 says, He restores my soul. He he guides me or leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now let me tell you one of my biggest pet peeves with our, our common grace teaching. We teach righteousness as it's just this position. Righteousness is not just a position. It only starts with a position. Righteousness, you know what my favorite definition of righteousness is? As it should be. As he should be. Righteousness is about life as it should be. All right? So what is God, what is God always doing? He's always leading me in paths of life as it should be. So God is 24-7 speaking to me, directing me, guiding me, leading me, trying to get me to a place where life is as it should be. Brokenness is not life as it should be. Depression, fear, anxiety, not life as it should be. Sickness, not life as it should be. Anger, not life as it should be. Life as it should be. That's what Christ in you is 24-7 trying to lead you in. We don't have to turn to your Colossians 1.12, 2 Corinthians 1.20. I am qualified. Listen to me. Faith is not about your ability to believe a promise as much as it is your ability to believe that you are qualified to receive and experience that promise in your life. Faith is all about... Faith doesn't look at you. Faith doesn't look at your Bible reading. Faith doesn't look at your praying. Faith doesn't look at your confession. Faith doesn't look at your performance. Faith looks at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And faith says, Jesus qualified me to receive every promise of God. No matter what it is, Jesus qualified me. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. Here soon, I'm going to expand this, what we're about to talk about here, but I'm just going to give it to you in passing. Because right now, we're talking about things, truths you need to get established in your heart. Luke 17, verse 20. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Now, let me point something out. He said, does not come with observation. That word come means arrive. So don't go to the extreme and say there's never going to be a kingdom that covers the earth. The mystery of the kingdom is that it begins as a reality in the believer's heart, but there is a day coming when that kingdom will cover the earth. Okay? So it doesn't arrive with observation. Verse 21, Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is where. Within you, in your heart. Alright? So here's what this means. The kingdom of God is within me, and all of its resources are at my disposal. What's that mean? I lack nothing. 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 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, a shepherd, what's he do? He leads the sheep. Jesus told us how he's going to lead the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Where's the voice at? It's in your heart. All right. Now we're going to get to the practical aspect of this, and I'm going to try to go as quick as I can. When you first begin learning to influence your heart, here's the part we don't like. It is going to take intentional time. It's going to take some discipline. But you can eventually get to the place where you can hear Christ in your heart the moment you need it. And you will learn to influence your heart in a moment that it's needed. But now when you're beginning to learn to do this, it will take some time. And that time has to be intentional. And this is the part we often don't like. All right? Now, what I use to influence my heart is what I call meditative prayer. And really all that is is biblical meditation. But, and this is me being vulnerable. I don't talk about this stuff. I usually only talk to people about it when they ask. And uh, usually when they ask and I explain, they're like, I ain't got I ain't What Do you like the results you are seeing in your life? Are you experiencing peace, joy, righteousness? All right? So let me say this. When I do what I call meditative prayer, there are times, and I'm talking about this intentional time, there are times it takes me five minutes, and I'm satisfied, I'm done. There are times it takes me an hour, Now, let me share what I do. I, this is what I do. I use instrumental music to help me get to that place of rest and relaxation. Have you ever noticed that you, res- that you get the best ideas in the middle of the night? Right before you're about to doze off, you're like, man, that's going to make me a million bucks. And then you wake up in the morning and it's gone. Why? Because when you are physically at rest, now I know there's a spiritual element here, but when you are physically at rest, your mind and your heart still, and all of a sudden you hear that voice that's been speaking to you all day, and you couldn't hear it because of the rushing of the, the anxieties and the troubles. So at night when you start to lay down, and you calm down, and your brain starts to shut down, suddenly you begin to hear the voice of God, and you begin to have those great ideas. I was up at 3 in the morning. My wife slept in this morning, and I said, I was wondering when you were going to get up. She's like, yeah, well, you kept me up all night because I woke up at 3 in the morning with just these ideas. And so I had to get up, and I've learned to get up, put them down. All right? But now I use instrumental music, and there is a science behind this, but we're not going to get into it. But long story short, it will help you get to that place. That's why if you study or do any research on like college students or kids in school, they will teach you that if you'll put on instrumental music, it, it just it makes it easier. You become like a sponge. Alright? Now, let me tell you another reason I use instrumental music and not just like worship music, my favorite worship songs. Let me ask you something. When you begin to hear a song, if you know that song, what do you begin to do? You start singing with it. Alright? The goal of meditative prayer is I want to still my mind, still my heart. Still my mouth. Alright? So I use instrumental music. And here in a minute, we're going to do this corporately. But, and here's another thing. You need to get comfortable physically. Well, what if I fall asleep? That's fine. That's fine. But get comfortable physically because, again, when you get, you can't, listen, you can't hear anything that's being said if you're sitting there not comfortable. If you're sitting there, man, I've got, man, man, my my pants are bothering me, or, you know, you're hearing loud noises, whatever, you can't get comfortable. You can't relax. So you want to get yourself to this place of being able to relax. And I know you all are listening to me, like, all right, he lost me here. Like, now he's getting weird. No, I'm telling you, and let me tell you something. Isn't this new age? No. All the enemy has done is corrupt things. If you're interested in that stuff Angie was talking about at the beginning of the service, about the birth of Jesus, just so you know, this is the time of year the Christians come out and be like, you know what, the birth of Jesus, wasn't born on December 25th, that's a pagan thing. Let me tell you something. My podcast this week, I will teach you, December 25th is not when Jesus was born, but it is when Jesus was conceived. And Scripture actually proves it. Scripture gives us the date. So if you're interested in that, listen to my podcast. Why did I just say that? Because we've got to quit thinking the pagans, the New Agers, the sinners, have stole, that, that they were the ones who created this stuff. They weren't the ones who created this stuff. The enemy hijacked it and corrupted it and perverted it. He tried to do that with the gospel. He's still trying to do that with the gospel. And so meditation and prayer, the enemy's tried to corrupt it, but we've got to redeem it. This is one of the reasons that the Bible continually tells us to be at peace. So um, here's the next thing you need to do. You need to, in these moments, you need to ignite your imagination. I love what Adam said. Adam brought it out when he first began singing earlier. He said, See Jesus walking in this place. Do you, let me ask you something. When you sit down to pray, I'm telling you, imagine Jesus sitting there with you. And some of you are like, well, that's, that's weird. Well, let me ask you something. Do you believe He's sitting there with you when you pray? Do you believe He is hearing when... Do you believe He hears you? Then maybe what you imagine is actually what's taking place. Ephesians 1.18 talks about that the eyes of... Oh, now, the, the New King James and the King James says that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. But the English Standard Version gets it more accurate. It says that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Do you know what the eyes of your heart is? It's your imagination. It's your, how, how do you know that? All right? When you start to imagine, nobody gets afraid until they begin to imagine something negative. You don't hear you're going to die and get in fear. Just those words don't put you in fear. What puts you in words is the imagination of you dying, of the funeral, of your family grieving, of you in pain. That's what puts fear in you. Fear doesn't come until the moment you begin to use your imagination. So why do we think faith works any different? Why do we think faith works any differently? So ignite your imaginations. Close your eyes. And something I do, and this is something I've learned from Dr. Jim Richards, I choose a place in my heart. I go to a place where I'm comfortable. Like I imagine somewhere I'm at peace, somewhere I'm comfortable. Now this may be weird to you. And again, I'm not giving you a formula but I am giving you something to work with, and you can experiment with it and see what works for you and what doesn't work for you. What's important is that you learn how to influence your heart. That's what's important. But here's the thing. It will always come one way. Fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus. That is the only way it will happen. Alright? So... And here's something, when you're in this place of meditative prayer, here's a big one. Take note of what you feel and what you're experiencing in that moment. Why? Because if you see Jesus and suddenly you get afraid, we've got something, there's something to deal with. Do you feel nervous about something? Take note of that. And pointed out to Jesus. Now I know this sounds weird, but I'm telling you, my heart, my broken heart has been healed in these moments. My life is now on the track. The, the, the track that my life now goes on comes from and was built by these moments in meditative prayer when I heard the voice of God. You know, a few years ago... Um, I was dealing with anxiety and fear about my health. And I took it to God in in a place of meditation, place of prayer. And Jesus spoke to me. And he said, this is exactly what he said, always listen to your wife when it comes to your health and you'll be fine. Now, my wife's a nurse practitioner. That's why he said that to me. All right? And you know what I did? I immediately went to her and I said, listen, I've got fear and anxiety about my my health. She's like, what's going on? Tell her what was going on. She gave me assurance. And since that moment, it's what I always do. And I've never struggled with anxiety and fear about my health again. See, he's trying to give you wisdom in these moments. Now, here, here's what we say. Well, well, isn't that just me? How do I know that's just not me imagining that? Let me tell you something. You hear God a lot better than you think you do. How many times have we done something stupid and said, I knew. Not to do that. You know know how you knew? The voice of God was trying to tell you, don't do that. You hear God a lot better than you think you do. So in these moments, if you begin to struggle, begin to acknowledge the foundational truths we've discussed. And here's something. How would I feel? Begin to imagine yourself. If, If you're struggling with sickness, see yourself healed, see yourself healthy, and take note of how you feel and experience And, well, what if I don't feel and experience anything? You're not engaging your heart. All right. If you're dealing with sickness, experience healing. If you struggle with a particular sin, experience victory over it. On and on we can go. Here's what I'm saying. Paint the picture you want to see. Paint the picture you want to see. Now, let me say this. So I said you hear God a lot better than you think you do. Here's the reason you don't think you hear God so well and you think, well, that was just me. Where did I say God is going to speak to you at? Your heart. It's your heart. It has your vocabulary. It has your experiences. So the voice of God, it rarely sounds like a big, booming, thus saith the Lord voice. It sounds a lot like you. To me, the voice of God sounds like a hillbilly from southeastern Kentucky. The voice of God, because He's speaking through your heart, it's going to sound like you. So don't be surprised when God sounds like you. Now, listen here. Here's another thing you can ask. Listen. Now, what God's saying to you, all you need to know to know whether or not it's God is this. Does it contradict Scripture? Does it contradict the teachings of Jesus? Does it contradict His finished work? Does it contradict the promises of God? Does it contradict the names of God? If it does, that's not God, because God can't lie. He's not, he's not contradicting himself. All right. So as long as it's in line with those things, act on it, as if that is the voice of God. Why? It probably is the voice of God. You hear God better than you think you do. And don't leave this place until you're satisfied. Now, go with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Now, here's the question you may hear as I talk about these things. And this is our last verse. You may say, well, how does that work? Sitting there imagining things, you know, and and hearing these things... How does that work? Jesus addressed that in Mark chapter 4. Now remember Mark chapter 4, He's teaching us all about the heart. Verse 26, And He, being Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night, and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. Look here. He himself does not know how. You don't have to know the science behind seed, time, and harvest to be a good farmer. All you got to do is know when I put this in the ground and nurture it in this manner, I get a harvest. That's all you need. The mechanics of it doesn't matter. And that is a, a Western mindset that we have to figure out the mechanics. And that's why Christianity for the last 70 or 80 years has been let me give you a formula to make something work. Because we think it needs to be mechanical. No, what it needs to be is, does this work or does it not work? If it works, I'm going to keep doing that thing. If it doesn't work, I need to adjust something somewhere. Alright? He himself does not know how. Verse 28. For the earth yields crops by itself. Now the earth, in the parable of the sower, is what? The heart. The heart yields crops by itself. This is why the heart has to do with transformation. It's not about performance. Uh, you know, It's not about fixing your performance. Your heart is always yielding crops by itself. But the issue is, what are you putting in your heart? First the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. The nature of the kingdom is increased. So let me ask you, what you're doing, are you increasing in peace? Are you increasing in joy? Are you increasing in love? Are you increasing in victory? Are you increasing in self-control? But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Immediately he acts on the voice he has heard. Now, we're going up, if we can... Let's begin to play some music. And if, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and get those lights. And what I want you to do, I'm going to lead you in this. And, but you don't have to do exactly what I'm saying. But, but make the intention right now, you're going to hear the voice of God. See, your intention matters. You know, one reason many of us don't hear what God is saying to us is because we're not expecting or anticipating to hear from Him. But if you will set your anticipation that in this moment I am about to hear from God, then you'll hear from God. But if you think, nah, this is weird, I'm not going to hear anything, I'm not going to see anything, you'll get what you expect. You'll get what you anticipate. So I just want to walk you through this. Do we have it? Okay. I just want to walk you through this. This is what I do. Don't be looking at me. Close your eyes. Now what I want you to do is get physically comfortable. Whatever you have to do to get physically comfortable. I receive. Holy, this moment feels. I look around and I see the days before. truth. Now let's get it in your heart. And let's get it working. And that's what we're doing. We need this. And don't leave here and never do this again. What I do, what I've asked them to play, I go, you can go on YouTube, look up Christian instrumental music, play it, put some headphones in if you got headphones. If you're like me, so you don't hear the kids threaten to beat up one another and just enjoy this, don't rush it, don't leave that place until you're satisfied. So, again, I'll pray if you want to stick around, stick around, we'll keep the music going for a little while. If you need to leave, feel free to leave. So, Father, I thank you for this holy.